Hello there and welcome to the Davis Now Lectures podcast. I'm Cleona Nianloon, its producer. The lecture you will hear is entitled Urban Dreams, Urban Nightmares and the Nature of Urban Spaces We Create, delivered by Dr Ruth McManus, geographer at St Patrick's College Drumcondra and now DCU. It was first broadcast as a Thomas Davis lecture on RTE Radio 1 in 2002 as part of a series of lectures entitled Engaging Spaces with geographer Jim Howran as his consultant editor. My mother has always stressed to me the importance of achieving perspective on any given situation. It was good advice to offer a geographer. By looking at something differently, it becomes revealed in a new way. I was reminded of this quite forcefully a few weeks ago when I took off from Dublin Airport. As the plane climbed, I could look down from the almost cloudless sky and see the city through new eyes. It certainly offered me a new perspective, both literally and metaphorically. Gazing out the window, I could see the stunning physical backdrop of the city provided by the mountains and the sea. In the middle distance was the city itself, and directly below me were the green fields of rural county Dublin. What particularly struck me that day, though, was the way in which we humans are creating new spaces in the urban environment. I had flown out of Dublin before. I've also had the benefit of a bird's eye view of urban spaces from scrutinising maps. But my familiarity with the scene was being challenged by new development. Last time I looked, it seemed that the dramatic C-shaped ring of the M50 motorway had encircled the city. It marked a boundary between the city and the countryside beyond. Now looking down, I could see new structures, mostly warehouses, which had leapfrogged across the road and were eating up the green swards beyond. I've often heard cities described as a kind of monster, eating up the countryside. Now, here in Dublin, that monstrous tendency was quite visible. As the plane climbed, I could see the growing tentacles of the city reaching out into the rural areas beyond. The green fields, bound by hedges, were being physically eaten up by these new, low-rise buildings. In fact, what I was seeing was the creation of new urban space at the edge of the city. This space, composed of the greyish blocks of the buildings, the greyish concrete of the new roads and the brown of the soil which had been turned to make way for new foundations, contrasted very sharply with the green of the remaining fields. I began to wonder as I looked down at this emerging scene, what sort of urban spaces are we creating? We seem to be blithely ploughing on, and that may be an unfortunate choice of verb, given the loss of countryside that's involved, while we're seemingly oblivious to any meaningful consideration of the nature of space or place. Irish people don't generally consider themselves to be urbanites. If you ask the average Dublin person where they're from, even those born in the city like myself are quite likely to qualify the statement by saying that their parents are from Clare or that they always cheer for the Offaly hurling team. Few would actually claim to be city people through and through. It's a fact that more people in Ireland live in towns and cities than in the countryside. Since the 1970s, the majority of Ireland's population has lived in urban areas. However, 
A recent study has suggested that Irish people living in urban areas are not as happy as their rural counterparts. This so-called goodness indicator measures quality of life on the basis of four key influences. Happiness, family life, health and finances. Based on these indicators, it was suggested that people living in Ireland's urban areas have a lower quality of life than those in rural areas. People in Ireland's largest city, Dublin, ranked lowest of all. Yet cities seem to offer all sorts of opportunities not found in other areas. Why else would people choose to live there? Remember Dick Whittington heading off for the bright lights of London, where the streets were proverbially paved with gold. Many's the young country ladder lass who travelled to large cities such as Dublin with similar aspirations. There's a sort of vitality, a buzz associated with urban areas. Maybe one of the problems being highlighted by the goodness indicator is the result of dashed hopes, of fading dreams. Maybe the reality of the city doesn't live up to its image. Maybe too there are ways in which we can work to create urban spaces and places that are perceived in a more positive light. In the time that I've been interested in cities, I've noticed an increasing tendency among people to discuss aspects of urban life. Every time I open a newspaper or even overhear a conversation in a cafe, there's a mention of something to do with the shaping of Ireland's cities and towns. But such discussions are almost invariably couched in negativity. The problems of traffic, commuting, lack of planning, suburban sprawl and so on. In fact, listening to the discussions, what becomes apparent is that we're creating spaces for cars, not people, and that our urban areas are felt to be badly planned and less than pleasant places to be in. I think that part of the reason for this poor urban structure is that we Irish have never really accepted that we can be both Irish and urban at the same time. Let's think for a minute of the images that we have of ourselves and the ways we tend to project Irish culture to other people. These images are couched in terms of rural nostalgia. The thatched cottage with the turf fire somehow appears more Irish than the suburban semi-D even though we're far more likely to be living in suburbia than in some kind of throwback to De Valera's era. Talking of this rural nostalgia brings me to another of the problems we hear being discussed in relation to urban areas. This is the lack of community and a sense of belonging, particularly in the larger towns and cities. Down the country, everybody knows your name, your business, where your forebears are buried. They may well know more about you than you know about yourself. In urban areas, particularly in larger towns and cities, it's possible to become anonymous. For some, this is a frightening thought. Again, the newspapers or urban myth will supply grisly stories of people being found dead, alone, weeks or months after the fact. These tales reinforce the prejudice against urban places. The city is seen as a dangerous place. Bad things happen in cities, whereas there is a perception of safety in rural areas, partly because they are generally less busy, less diverse and less anonymous. And yet, it can be argued that they are missing the point. One of the wonderful features of living in a larger place, at any rate, is the fact that you can choose to be anonymous. You can feel the excitement and dynamism of the urban space. So anonymity can be an attractive notion in that you can shape a new identity for yourself, 
Create your own space, free of the trammels of tradition which might hold you back in a rural area. You can walk down a street, browse the shops, do some shopping without your every move being reported back to the entire community. Living in an urban context can be liberating. It might inspire you to uncover aspects of self which were kept repressed or hidden, an artistic side or perhaps different sexual preferences. Sometimes then, living in an urban area can be a rewarding experience or a release. I think it's also important to realise that there is a sense of community in almost every urban area, but that it is played out in different ways than in a rural place. People aren't necessarily bound together because of where they live, but perhaps because of a common interest, place of work, leisure time activity and so on. Every person has their own activity space in an urban area. This activity space includes the places you pass through every day on the way to work, to shop, to go to play sports and so on. Within this space, you are likely to encounter familiar faces, people you nod to on the street, people you say hello to, people who become friends. Maybe what's different in urban places is the greater element of choice in the development of community. You can choose to belong, to get involved, to know your neighbours, or you can opt out. For some people, this option is one of the things that makes urban life palatable, even desirable. Not everyone sees the city as a place of excitement, freedom and liberation. Such concepts may be overrated if you're living in an urban area without the means to enjoy its advantages. To a person on the breadline, living in a city may not hold out much in the way of opportunities. Differences become even more acute in an urban area. Indeed, you're more likely to be frustrated by seeing other people's affluence, while the cost of living tends to be higher. This partly explains the success of the rural resettlement schemes, which enable those reliant on social security to move to the countryside. Despite some movement out of cities, the general tendency is for increasing numbers of people to move into urban areas. The world over, urban areas tend to attract newcomers, be they from the rural hinterland or from other countries. One of the inevitable outcomes is a greater degree of diversity in cities and towns than in the countryside. People of varying ages, backgrounds, religious persuasions, ethnicities, social status, educational levels are generally mixing together in urban areas. In the past few years, Ireland has begun to experience ever greater levels of diversity, particularly in urban areas. There's a wonderful sense of watching the migration circle being completed if we remind ourselves of our own migratory history. Ireland's greatest levels of rural to urban migration began after the Great Famine of the mid-19th century. The cities to which our emigrants went were almost exclusively in the United States and England. Now, with increasingly globalised patterns of migration, we are receiving large numbers of immigrants. Previously, we, the Irish, were the emigrants, fleeing from famine and poverty. Increasing ethnic diversity can lead to a number of outcomes. People may mix happily and take on aspects of each other's culture. If you read any of the guidebooks about Amsterdam, you'll see recommendations to eat a Reichstafel, a specialist Indonesian meal, while restaurants in the English towns of Bradford and Leicester serve some of the best curries in the world. Sometimes, too, people get along by ignoring their differences rather than embracing change and adapting. 
What we hear about most, though, is the potential for disharmony that arises from the differences in urban areas. Not too long ago, there were race-based riots in Oldham in the UK, while racially motivated attacks in Irish urban areas appear to be on the increase. Often the solution employed is one of segregation, of separating different groups. Then, the opportunity for conflict, through mixing, is limited. But it's possible that segregation actually increases the potential for disharmony. If you don't know anything about a particular group, maybe you fear them even more than you would if you were familiar with the reality. Does the creation of ghettos and no-go areas really make things better, or does it simply intensify the problem? Ghetto is an evocative word. It calls to mind images of the Second World War, of ultimate deprivation and death. Yet increasingly in Ireland we're hearing talk about the ghettoization that's supposedly occurring in our towns and more especially our cities. Everyone knows the names of what are regarded as the bad parts of any town or city, the areas on the wrong side of the tracks, the places where we're most likely to find a clustering of the disadvantaged members of society. Such areas get a bad reputation and it becomes difficult to shake this off. People living in these areas find themselves disadvantaged when they apply for jobs simply because of their addresses. Others find it difficult to get mortgages because financial institutions are unwilling to invest in certain locations. The physical space, particularly housing, may not necessarily be substandard, but in the public imagination these are bad spaces seen in a negative light. And yet, anyone who has worked in these so-called deprived areas will tell you of the extraordinary community spirit that often exists here. They will tell you of self-help groups and of a myriad of activities being undertaken by community activists. In many ways, such so-called bad areas have the very community attributes that are so desired by more affluent people. If you can't move your physical location, at least you can rename that space. Think of the celebrated renaming of Windscale as Sellafield following the nuclear accident there. Less dramatically, when an area gains a certain reputation, local groups can sometimes pressurise the authorities to rename that place in an attempt to lose the associated negative connotations. Residents in private housing estates close to public housing with a similar name may petition for a name change. Similarly, when Unpost proposed changing the boundaries of some postal districts on the south side of Dublin City, locals objected. They preferred to retain their original postcode, which was seen to connote a certain social standing, and therefore their homes would attract a higher price in the event of a sale. Perhaps of all of these examples of naming of spaces, the most interesting is Dublin 4. Here in RTE's radio centre, I'm in the heart of this place, this space. There is a geographical space, simply an area designated by the Postal Service, called Dublin 4. What it symbolises is far more important than the physical space, and actually quite different. Dublin 4 is a term used to represent a particular mindset, generally the more educated, middle-class, liberal viewpoint. People talk and write about Dublin 4 attitudes, even journalists based in other parts of the urban area. My own experience of the real Dublin 4, when I lived in a house without central heating, with rudimentary plumbing and a very hazardous electrical system, was a million miles removed from the stereotype. 
this serves as a useful reminder of the gulf between real and imagined urban spaces. The Disney company is known for manufacturing dreams through its movies. Perhaps less well known is the new town which it has manufactured in Florida. This new town, Celebration, creates a new form of urban space and is part of a whole movement in the US termed the New Urbanism. But if we look at what this new town of Celebration includes, it's actually quite surprising. This isn't a modern metropolis of gleaming high-tech towers and glass skyscrapers. In order to create what is perceived as an ideal place, Disney's planners and architects have retreated in time. They have recreated the old-style town square. The houses are surrounded by white picket fences and come in a variety of styles, but none of them could be described as modern architecture. All hark back to a time when, apparently, life was led at a gentler pace and community ties were stronger. The dream being sold in celebration is a return to old-style values and is represented by an old-style architecture and safe urban spaces. The spaces of celebration are consciously imagined and created to evoke a sense of positive values and well-being. We don't have anything quite like celebration in Ireland, yet. But some of our more upmarket new housing estates are being consciously marketed in ways which owe something to the same search for certainty and community. One of the biggest changes which has taken place in Irish towns and cities in recent years is the increasing tension between what is seen as public space and what is private. Walk down the main streets in major urban areas and you'll notice various improvements. The pedestrianised streets, new paving, litter bins, fancy lamp standards, perhaps even ornamental seating. But look a bit closer and you might see something a little more disturbing. If you look up, almost everywhere, you'll realise that you are almost constantly under surveillance. There are cameras mounted high on walls and lampposts. Even the new traffic cameras can be turned to observe a potential offender on the street. Do they make you feel safer? To me, they're too much like Big Brother in Orwell's 1984 and raise many questions. Why should I be watched? Who decides on what or who is to be watched? Who's doing the watching? Whatever your opinion, the invasion of the camera is a reflection of the changing nature of our public spaces. Mirroring a trend seen across the globe, our urban areas are becoming increasingly closed to the casual visitor. Entry is conditional on the observance of certain codes of behaviour, with security cameras and guards ensuring compliance. When I walk through Dublin's new financial services area, the IFSC, I become particularly aware of this tension and I find it difficult to feel at ease there. I suppose that there's a belief that, in any urban place, the general public has to be protected from the wrongdoer, the out-of-place person, the undesirable. Leave them, and that's a hazy, undefined concept, leave them to live among their own, in the ghettos of our towns and cities, so the argument goes. And ultimately, what happens? We ignore the problem until the dam bursts. There's an incident. The bus drivers refuse to travel there after hours, or the fire brigade declares the place to be a no-go area. And the pattern continues. And so the place becomes more marginalised its inhabitants even less likely to be accepted outside of their own community. 
Another world exists within the city or town. It has its own rules, its own sense of order. If a member of a more affluent social group, or with a different skin colour, strays into such an area, he or she is suddenly the one who doesn't belong. So, the place you're in, within an urban area, can determine your social status in various ways. The increasing fear of the other, the outsider, taking over our towns and cities, is one of the reasons that so-called gated communities have been developed. In the US, and places like Sao Paulo in Brazil, gated communities consist of complete housing areas with all the necessary amenities. As the name suggests, all of these amenities are available behind security walls, protected by cameras, trained dogs and armed response units. Of course, that sort of thing is only seen on TV. Well, I'm not so sure. In Ireland, we've taken to building walls around new housing estates. Sometimes these are just intended to define that space, to make us see it as an entity. But in other cases, particularly with apartment blocks, security codes are needed to open the high gates and gain access to the spaces of privilege within. I lived for a while in such a secure apartment just off Pier Street, close to the heart of Dublin. Despite the obvious advantages, I always felt uncomfortable unlocking the gate that separated my home from the world outside. In that moment, when I turned my back on the city at large to retreat into my safety zone, I felt most acutely the differences between people and, inevitably I think, I also felt a vague sense of guilt at my good fortune. I've always loved Pete St John's song about Dublin in the rare old times, despite the fact that I'm not even a true dub. It depicts some of the changing city centre spaces that I've already talked about. Many towns and cities in Ireland have seen huge physical changes in recent years due to urban renewal incentives. People, particularly the better off, have returned to live in the city centres and new developments have shot up. But one of the outcomes has been the same sort of disconnection described in Pete and John's song. Urban spaces are changing so fast that one's sense of belonging becomes a victim to progress. I've heard that after the collapse of the Berlin Wall, many streets in East German towns were renamed. The citizens felt lost in places they had lived in all their lives. Sometimes I feel the same walking through Dublin's rapidly changing urban scene. I got chatting to an English couple who were looking for directions in Dublin recently. They told me about their Irish holiday and how much they were enjoying themselves. One of the comments which surprised me most was their remark that Dublin reminded them so much of some town they knew in England. Not just the shops, but even the way it had been pedestrianised, the feel of the place. With all of this newness, are we losing the essence of our urban places? When my friend from South Carolina came to visit, she commented on the nature of Ireland's suburbs. What astonished her was the fact that all of the houses were built the same. In the so-called subdivisions where she lived in the US, no two houses were the same. In more general terms, people seem to enjoy criticising suburban houses and indeed suburban lifestyles. But the fact is that the majority of people who live in urban areas don't live in the city or town itself, but rather on its outskirts. So most of us are suburbanites rather than true urbanites. 
and even though our houses might all appear the same on the surface, one of the most interesting features of suburbia is the way in which people tailor their homes to their own needs. In fact, it's in this personal space that people often come into their own. Some might decry, in superior tones, the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, the perfect lawns or replacement windows. The simple fact is that it's in their suburban homes that people actually seize control of their own space and actively create the space around them. What worries me far more is the way in which suburbs have extended so far into the countryside around our towns and cities. Flying across Ireland that day, I was able to identify some of the Midland towns. Ribbons of new housing stretched out in all directions from these urban cores, and these ribbons belonged more to the nearby town than to the rural hinterland. I wondered if, some day, there might be nothing left but concrete and cobble-lock paving. We seem to have become an urban nation without noticing or consciously planning for that situation. Yet it's clear to me that the degree and speed of change in our urban areas is throwing up major issues that need to be tackled seriously. It's probably time for a more comprehensive approach to urban affairs in Ireland, maybe even a dedicated government department. But I'm afraid that such intervention may only finally occur when the tensions we've been considering here reach crisis point. That was geographer Ruth McManus with her lecture entitled Urban Dreams, Urban Nightmares. From the Thomas Davis Lecture Series, Engaging Spaces, first broadcast in 2002 on RTE Radio 1. You can subscribe to a weekly Davis Now Lectures podcast and we can be contacted at davisnowlectures at rte.ie. From me, producer Cleanan Ianloon, thank you for listening.